0: Hi, go on, and welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and today is a rather rare experience for me because not only am I reviewing a book, namely The Wisdom of Hobbits, Unearthing Our Humanity at Three Bagshot Row by Matthew J. Distefano, I'm actually reviewing a book before it comes out. This book actually releases on March 14th, and the author reached out to me actually a few months ago and sent me a early draft copy to read and review and actually provide a blurb for the book, which I did, and I'll tell you the blurb in a minute here if you're interested, but this book is basically a look at how different characteristics of hobbits can teach us lessons about ourselves, and it's a rather interesting book in that regard, and it makes a lot of sense, because in Tolkien's world, even though hobbits are kind of a distant relation of your standard human, they're actually the most human of all the characters because almost everybody else in the stories are some version of an extreme, either a great hero like, you know, Aragorn or Faramir or a great villain like Grima Wormtongue is just nasty or Saruman is, you know, completely corrupted, you know, Maya... So, Hobbits tend to be kind of the more down-to-earth, kind of just normal people, and one of the things that we tend to do in our reading of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, especially the Lord of the Rings, because we actually meet more Hobbits than just one, is to idealize the Hobbits and the Shire, and that's not really a very honest reading of the text, because the Hobbits very clearly if you pay attention have you know their faults their failings their issues that need to be acknowledged and really dealt with and so it's very rare that you get you know a really good look at both the good and the bad of hobbits now people who have really done scholarly work on tolkien will probably acknowledge this kind of stuff although it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of scholarly work on hobbits and i wouldn't Necessarily categorize this book as a scholarly work. I mean, this is not somebody who's got a PhD in Tolkien studies or something. But it is a very serious and in-depth look at Hobbits, and it takes actual account of both positive and negative traits on several different topics. So I'm going to kind of explain what's in the book, give an overview of the kinds of topics that are addressed, and then give some final thoughts on my just what I think of the book as a whole. So, let's take a look. Before we dive in, though, I will read the blurb that I provided for the book, and mine is one of the shortest ones, which may say more about me than anything else. But I mentioned that it is a rare, balanced view of the oft-idealized hobbits, which shows how we can learn from both the good and bad of their culture, temperament, and way of life. And the reason I gave this blurb you could probably kind of guess already is because that is how I see this book. It is mostly interesting as an examination of hobbits as real people, not just some kind of idealized something or an idealized group or an idyllic culture or something like that. It's looking at them and seeing, you know, the real thing, warts and all. And this really starts to take off when you really get into the book, but beyond just the book, there's some interesting things that I would like to note up front. First of all, near the end of the book, he actually includes what I assume are some of his own illustrations of various parts of the Shire, or what he imagines are parts of the Shire. So, for example, this one says, Somewhere near the water. I mean, there's nothing that... Specifically calls out that specific landscape in the text, but you could easily imagine it. And then he's got one of Gandalf and presumably Bilbo at Bag End on the front porch. So he's got some of his own hand-drawn illustrations in here, which is kind of interesting. He also has a, an appendix of significant hobbits in history that we know of. And this is interesting too, as kind of a reference, because it gives you kind of a broader picture of who the hobbits are and the kind of people that they really are. And some of the examples he gives are the obvious ones like Bilbo, Frodo, Sam, Gamgee, but he also gets into less known characters like Fatty Bulger, Otho Sackville-Baggins, so he, you know Lobelia Sackville-Baggins, Gerontius Took, A.K.A. the Old Took. Bull roarer took he gets into Smeagol and Diagol even though they're not technically from the Shire but they are still hobbits you know or at least Hobbit related and then you've got the maggots so he gives a wide variety of hobbits here. He doesn't get Ted Sandyman for instance, which is fine because Ted Sandyman is a very minor character but he at least does throw in some of the you know, less savory type of characters like the soap Lobelius Sackville Baggins and Smeagol. So he gives kind of a smattering of the flavor of the kind of people you'll run into if you know hobbits long enough, just in this appendix. And he also includes and this really has almost nothing to do with the book topic itself, but is kind of interesting, is the a list basically of plants that could be found in the shire and it ranges it goes a to z he goes from the alder tree all the way to the willow and he gives some really interesting information about each of them and i mean interesting if you're a gardener because he gives you the plant type so for example the alder is a deciduous tree the kind of sun exposure it needs the soil ph that it needs hardiness zones and just Some interesting notes. So, you can tell this guy likes his plants, and he actually does mention in the foreword that he gardens. So, one wonders how much of a connection this guy has with hobbits for the simple fact that he enjoys gardening, which seems to be a very common thing that hobbits do. They grow lots of things. And Bilbo, of course, is very proud of his garden, so that's a very strong connection. So, that's some of the interesting things in the book besides, you know, the real meat of the the point of the book, let's say. So as far as the actual substance of the book, some of the topics that he gets into are as follows. He gives a chapter on the idea of love of adventure versus love of home and how both can be taken to extremes and how we need to find balance. He talks about the parochialism of hobbits. For example, you know, you get people like Gaffer Gamgee saying in, what was it? I don't think it was the Green Dragon, I forget what inn he was in, but he was talking about how folk over there are weird, they're queer. So, and he's talking about other hobbits, you know, Buckland. Not technically in the Shire, but still hobbits. And so, there's already this sense that hobbits are not, you know, perfect individuals. They have their own little issues, like the the fact that almost any distance makes you a foreigner and therefore potentially a problem. Uh, And he talks about how this has to also be balanced as well. He also has one about a chapter that's basically about their harmony with nature. Uh, He has one about heroism and love and resisting the lure of power. He has one about the complexity of the characters themselves and the complexity of the nature of heroism itself. So, you know, the kind of hero that Frodo is is different than the kind of hero that Aragorn is, and it also gets into how this heroism plays out in the story. Another one is the issue of free will and providence, and then he also has a couple of chapters about how to deal with loss, and of course this gets really heavy into the scouring of the Shire and, you know, the very end of the story where various hobbits have lost a lot, and Frodo in particular has basically lost his, I guess, joie de vivre, for lack of a better term. It's like he just, he is no longer content living in Middle-Earth because of the way he has been wounded. So, those are some of the topics that he covers, and in general, in each of these, he talks about the hobbits, their characteristics, how they play into these different themes and usually comes up with some positive and negative senses in which hobbits interact with these themes and that's like i say kind of one of the the key things that i get out of this book is this is taking a look at the hobbits as a whole not you know looking at them through rose tinted glasses you get a real sense of These are real people with both good and bad traits, and we need to observe both to fully understand what hobbits are really like. And at the end of the day, hobbits are like humans. That's really what they are. They are our entry point into this story and into this world. So, without getting into too much detail on any one of these topics, because you ought to read the book for that, Uh, Let me go ahead and kind of give my overall impressions of what I thought of the book as a whole, and that'll give you an idea of whether you'd like to read it yourself. So first let me bring up some of the criticisms that I have of the book, uh, and get those out of the way, and then end on kind of a positive note, because I think overall this is a book worth reading. Uh, One of the main criticisms that I would have is that he tends to try to overdevelop the book, and you can see... It's not a very large book. I mean, it's it's not huge. And sometimes it seems to me like he's trying to justify its existence as a full-length book by putting more into it than is necessarily justified. He tries to draw things out and make connections that maybe aren't that strong to, you know, fill the word count almost. Is it horrible in that regard? no but every now and then it seems like he kind of belabors the point more for the sake of getting a word count than than is really justified by the nature of the thing itself. And this is somewhat exacerbated by the fact that, like I said before, it's not really an academic work. It's clearly kind of a a layman's, although an educated and well-read layman's, approach to this kind of a topic, but that makes it seem even more extended than it really should be. If you want to use Bilbo's metaphor of butter being scraped over too much bread, sometimes it seems almost like because he doesn't have enough really academic stuff to put into it and is just really taking the the simpler approach, it just seems like it's extended a little more than it really needs to be and that bread is a little bit too big for the butter. But not hugely so. I mean, it's not... A really huge problem. So don't, you know, that's not a reason not to read the book by itself. I just mention it because, you know, if you're if you're looking to get, you know, really killer stuff on every page of this relatively small book, you're not going to get, you know, really killer stuff. And that's another point that I should raise. This is not a criticism per se, because I think this is actually, and I almost put something like this in my blurb, but I couldn't think of a good way to word it in a short, succinct manner. But this book is not going to radically shift your idea of hobbits unless you're one of those people who has completely idealized them all your life and never really read closely enough and paid attention to realize that hobbits are much more complicated than you might think. If you have read Lord of the Rings many, many times, if you have listened to Corey Olsen enough or other people or girl next Gondor, who talks about, you know, the Shire being kind of a dystopian area. All of these kinds of things will have opened your eyes already to the kinds of things that he is saying. It's not going to revolutionize anything in that sense. But it will give a nice overview of, here are a bunch of different ways in which Hobbits exist not just on one end, but across a spectrum of multiple different axes. And those axes include things like Bilbo's adventurism versus his own homeboundness. And, you know, this is like a thing in The Hobbit. It's one of the key themes is his Tookish nature versus his Bagginsish nature. And he, that's one of the chapters, basically. But he goes into more than Bilbo. So it's a not, like I said, going to revolutionize your opinion of Hobbit's if you're already kind of at that stage, but it is interesting because it actually does cover a lot of different aspects of Hobbits that you might not have specifically thought of. So don't expect any huge light bulb moments. That's another thing that you could argue is a criticism, but my. The reason I almost kind of put this in as a part of my blurb was it's precisely the call back to something that we kind of already know that sometimes we need. So, I say this not so much as a negative criticism, but as a cautionary, like, don't expect, you know, fireworks in this book. But it is still useful. So, it's kind of like a mixed bag there in that sense. So, that's another point that I would bring up. There is also one small criticism that in the chapter where he talks about hobbits and their relationship to nature, I think he lets his politics show just a little bit where he mentions very you know, explicitly the idea of basically man-made climate change and how we can learn lessons about our response to that from the hobbits, which I think that's stretching things a little too far, but also I just don't like the introduction of politics into... Tolkien, so the idea that Tolkien and his treatment of hobbits and how they do things is in any way a commentary on man-made climate change, I think, takes things just a little too far, and, like, I don't know exactly what this guy's politics are, broadly speaking, but on the issue of climate change, it seems pretty clear that he is in favor of doing things both at a large scale and a small scale to address that topic. And, like, if you're on the other side of that equation, that might be a turnoff for you, and that's why I don't like injecting politics into Tolkien. You can learn, I think, a lot of lessons about politics from Tolkien, but when I say politics in that sense, I mean politics in the old sense of how Aristotle or someone else might have used it. It's a subcategory of learning about human nature and how humans interact with each other within a politically, you know, charged sphere as opposed to a non-political sphere. So, this is really the only point in the book where I think that comes up, and it's a very brief mention, but it's, it's there. And it's one of those things that I just don't particularly like about people... Who do this with Tolkien, it's like, don't bring your politics to Tolkien. Let Tolkien say what he's saying and understand how that applies to various things, but don't then go back and read your own politics back into it and try to find a connection there. I'm not a huge fan of that. And I'm not a huge fan of that with anybody, but Tolkien is just my you know, kind of my hobby horse, so I take it a little more seriously with Tolkien than I do with other things, I guess. So, that's another minor negative point. There's another minor negative point that I have which is so interconnected with one of the positive points that I kind of have to address the positive end first, so let's talk about that. To set this up, I have to explain one of the positive elements of this. I mentioned before that this is not an academic work. But there is some discussion that gets pretty heavily academic, in a sense, because in the Free Will vs. Providence chapter, he actually spends a good chunk of time going into what he specifically means when he says free will and the ability to freely choose. And it gets a little heavy. And when I say heavy, I mean... Not that it's hard to follow, and this is one of the positive things about this book. Even though he's talking about a relatively dense subject, he explains it at a level that I think most people are going to be able to understand and really follow. But he gets into, like, really what is free will and how do we define it very carefully so that we're not just kind of willy-nilly throwing the term around and not thinking about it and he really develops this idea over several pages and so even though the work as a whole is not academic the level of discussion that he has in the book varies from the very simple to the relatively highly philosophical but he always manages to keep the the actual level of you know prose you know simple enough that virtually everybody can follow along if they're actually just trying to pay attention And that, I think, is a mark of a really good communicator. He can get the idea across, even if it's one that mostly is talked about by academics sitting in their ivory tower and, you know, writing academic papers on it. So that's an impressive thing to me is the ability to do that, you know, take a topic that is not necessarily all that easy to you know explain to somebody and then find a way to explain it in a way that you know a smart 12-year-old could get. So props to that, but the the slightly negative side of this is that when he gets to the discussion of theodicy, which is the discussion of God's goodness, how can God be good if the world is this evil? That basic idea He again kind of gets into this and talks about the kind of almost academic way in which this is important, but then he addresses the broader topic of how can God be good? You know, Eru Iluvatar in this particular case, of course. How can He be good given the evil in the world? And he kind of backs away from the question and says, "Well, we could never give a completely satisfactory answer." I'm not a huge fan of that, because on the one hand, you've you've raised the question specifically in your book, and then you say, well, I can never completely satisfactorily answer this question. I wouldn't have raised it in that case. So, I, I can understand why he does it, because this book is not about theodicy, and therefore he's not going to spend a ton of time there. I think he could have handled it slightly better and said... You know, I'm not going to give a full treatment of theodicy here, I'm going to, you know, kind of get into some of the ideas and explain where, you know, Tolkien would have come from, and if you want a really full treatment of this, you might refer to these books or whatever, but to kind of bring up the topic and then say, here's a few points, and say, well, that's not completely satisfactory, and I'm, you know, I can't give a completely satisfactory answer, I think that's kind of dropping the ball just a smidge because it it lets the reader down in a sense because you have raised this really major topic which didn't have to be in the book because it, it is more towards the heavy end and the interaction of hobbits with this, you know, aspect of Tolkien's legendarium, the idea of providence and to what degree is God responsible for evil in the world and all that the connection of Hobbits to that is not that strong so I don't think it was really necessary to go there so if you are going to go there I just think you really need to be careful how you handle it in you know making sure that you're not just kinda like here reader look at this but eh, not really so again minor criticism I think like I said I understand why he does it and I think it just could have been handled a little bit better in the text, but it is like the handling was not as finessed, I guess, as I would have liked. To wrap this up, I do want to end on the really positive note, which again, going back to the main thing that I've been talking about this whole time, is the observations that he makes about hobbits, and he makes a lot of them. Observations which are Usually not earth-shattering, like I said. Nothing in this book is going to revolutionize your view of hobbits unless you're still in that like eight-year-old mindset of hobbits in the Shire. is just the idyllic society. But he makes tons of observations about hobbits in all these different areas of life and how they you know, fit in, sometimes more closely than others. Like I said, the provenance and free will type thing. The connection there is a little bit looser because there's just not as much in the story about all that but it does play in you know there's comments from Frodo and others about you know the how things play out is kinda planned and how Gandalf tells things like this to Frodo you know you were meant to have the ring and not by its maker you know this is Providence fitting its way into the story those connections are slightly rarer explicitly in the text in those topics, but on some of the other topics, like the adventure versus home thing, that is very much the character development theme of Bilbo and the Hobbit, so it's a very strong connection there. And in general, I would say that a lot of the book kind of starts with some of the stronger connections and then goes towards the weaker connections. Those connections are still there, but the point that I'm making for this is that the strength of this book is that it really does get a lot of good observations in about hobbits and their nature and how they are reflective of our own human nature and how we can learn from them in ways that you wouldn't necessarily think of just reading the story. You know, I've got a pretty balanced view, I think, of hobbits at this point in my life, but nevertheless, even me reading this book, I was like, hmm, that's a good point. You know, things that he mentions about various aspects of Hobbits that, you know, you don't necessarily just latch on to because unless you're thinking of it specifically in this vein, you know, it won't necessarily register. And that's, you know, one of the cool things about Tolkien. There's so much there that you'd have to read it over and over and over and over and over again in specific mindsets to catch everything. And so even though this book is not revolutionary and it's not going to completely upend your idea of what hobbits are, it does precisely that. It's like reading through the story again with a different lens and picking up on things that you wouldn't necessarily have picked up on before. And taken seriously, it's going to give you some ideas for maybe ways to improve your own life even. Like... I am very much a, much a Baggins-ish type of person. My idea of adventures might be a little bit naively like Frodo's, like it's just a fun thing to go off and do, but my rational mind knows that, eh, not really. I'm a heavy introvert. I don't like getting into truly risky situations. I just like to kind of dip my toe and pretend I'm getting into risky situations and that kind of a thing. And so I'm very much more of a baggins, I think, than a took. And so I could learn from Bilbo to, you know, maybe take a little more of that tookishness and apply it to my own life and do more than just take the safe road all the time, right? So things like that, there are a lot of observations in there that go, the observations themselves are more surprising than that. But it's also just interesting how you can manage to learn from this book to apply to your own life because he really spends time talking about both the positive and the negative and how you can take both as, you know, lessons for your own existence. Like, you know, avoid this, do this, but don't go too far in that direction because then that's something else you want to avoid. You don't want to be too adventurous because then you don't grow any roots, you don't have any safe way to grow a family, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's the way that he handles it is very balanced for the most part, and I I really like that. So, overall, this book is, you know, well worth a read. And unless you have made a lifelong study of hobbits on your own and think that you've got everything there is to know because you've already, you know, really studied hobbit nature and compared it to human nature, you're going to be surprised by something in this book, more than likely. Is it going to completely shock you and, you know, make you overturn your table of what hobbits are. No, like I said, that's not going to happen. But he does make observations in here that I think are not only worth listening to, but also probably not already on your radar. So, would I get this book? Yes. It's a relatively small book. It's a fairly short read. It's, you know, the main text of the book is only let's see, 161 pages, and it's not, for the most part, extremely dense at that, because, I mean, chapters tend to be fairly short, they're not, you know, huge, long academic discussions, they are, like I said, at a fairly low level of prose, and I don't mean low in a pejorative sense, I mean, like, understandable for the average reader. So, very much worth picking up and giving a read, I would definitely give it a shot if you're interested at all in this kind of a topic, because, One of the things that I think is really valuable about reading Tolkien is precisely the commentary on human nature. And that's not always through the lens of the Hobbits. Sometimes it's through the lens of greater people like Denethor and Aragorn and Boromir. But often because of that, we tend to overlook the Hobbits. And this is a nice callback to, you know, the real heart of the story in a sense because it calls us back to the main characters and says... Here are things that we kind of already know, but you might have forgotten. And I think that's one of the best things about the book. It's it's kind of like the Old Testament prophets calling us back. You know, that was the job of the Old Testament prophets in the Bible, was calling the people of Israel back to God. This is kind of the same thing, although not nearly in as serious a way. It's calling us back to something that we kind of already know, but might have forgotten because we've gotten our head too much in the clouds. So, that is my review of The Wisdom of Hobbits. Hope you enjoy it and go pick up the book. Like I said, it's not even out yet, but you could probably find an Amazon page on it or find it. It is published by Quar Publishing. That's Q-U-O-I-R. Again, the author's name is Matthew J. DiStefano. hope I'm pronouncing that right. I really don't know, but it looks Italian, so I'm doing my best. Uh, but... There it is. So if you enjoyed this, please do give it a thumbs up. Share it around with anybody else you might think who would possibly be interested in this book. Check my description below for social links, other platform links, and support links. And until the next time, I am the Tolkien Geek signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namaste. No